Hello and welcome. My name is Tom and this is the Enthusiasm Project Season 6, Episode 3. Oh, gee, today we're talking about money. It sort of rhymed. If you're still here, despite that intro, that is what we were talking about. We were talking about revenue. This is sort of a follow-up. I don't know if it's an annual thing, um, but we're talking about revenue, money, uh, we're calling it YouTube revenue, but it's sort of an all-encompassing thing. And basically, I just wanted to break down as a as a as somebody who went from being an employee to self-employed in the world of content creation last year, how much money I made from different sources. Because ultimately, uh, I didn't make a significant chunk of money from any single source. But a bunch of sources combined led to the best financial year I've ever had in my life, and significantly more than I ever made as a teacher. So uh, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to. I did this episode last last year, and so this is kind of a follow-up on that. I'm hesitant, though, and I'm going to explain why, and maybe then after hearing that, I just want you to understand where I'm coming from, because I feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable about this. Uh, I don't, because money is one of those weird things. And last year when I made this episode, I talked about, I wish that we were more comfortable having an open dialogue about money. You know, like if you work somewhere, it's always like the secret of like, who makes what, how much do you make? How much do I make? Is it the same? Like, it's, it's sort of this weird thing or somebody gets a job. It's, it's sort of weird. And I've talked to a few, a few full-time YouTube people who make pretty significant incomes much more than me. And one thing that they, they've all said separately, which leads me to believe this is a universal experience, is there's sort of this period of time where like they start doing their creative endeavor and the people in their lives sort of feel like, you know, like, oh yeah, that's cute, this thing you're doing, that's, you know, whatever. And then they start making a little bit of money and people are like, oh yeah, you actually make money with that, that's crazy. And then once it hits a point where it's like a real amount of money, people get weird. And I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's you know, traditional employment versus self-employment or like new media employment or a creative thing versus a quote-unquote real thing. I, I have a feeling a lot of it is based in a lack of understanding or something, but it's a very real thing. <laughs> and I, I feel like the last time I did this, I had just crossed the, uh, in 2020, I had made $50,000 off of my YouTube channel and stuff, which was great. And that was very much like a, you know, when I started teaching my annual teacher's salary with a master's degree was $48,000 a year. So $50,000 from YouTube was like, wow, this is more than I made teaching. That's, you know, pretty crazy. Obviously not counting for like inflation and all that, but just keeping things pretty simple. And that was one of the things where it was like, well, this could potentially be like a, an actual, not just like a side hustle. This could be a, a real source of income. And it was not long after I made that episode that that's kind of what ended up happening sort of unexpectedly, or at least it wasn't unexpected that it happened, but how soon it happened <laughs> was definitely unexpected. So yeah, and then this year... I made more than I ever made teaching. Now, the scary part, of course, being the current year we're in, 2022. So I, I don't know, a year from now, if I were to do this episode, I could be like, it all fell apart. And, you know, 
I, it, it's all gone. <laughs> hopefully that's not the case. Like hopefully, hopefully that's not the case, but I found that this was really helpful for people to just sort of see how these things kind of work. Um, and yeah, so we're going to do that now. This is not a video version. I was thinking of doing a video version so you could actually see my budget spreadsheet and stuff, but there's also like personal and identifiable information and stuff on it. And I, it, I'll just go through the numbers and we'll just go, we'll just go through the numbers. But what you can do if you want is you can go to hi, my name is Tom.com slash downloads, or just go to hi, my name is Tom.com and then click on the little downloads thing. And you can download a Google sheet, the same Google sheet that I use to keep track of everything with the same like formulas that I've made. It's not like a professional spreadsheet or a professional accounting thing. So if you know what you're doing when it comes to accounting and budgeting and finance, ignore my weird thing that I have made. But this is something that I've been using since 2019. And uh, it works well for me because it's very visual and it helps me to see things in a very visual way. So if you want to get that template, it's totally free. Uh, you just go to the website, hi, my name is Tom.com, downloads, and then uh, you can download this. It'll open up and it's in Google Sheets on your own account. And then you can like save it, share it, whatever. So uh, yeah, and I won't be able to see anything you put in, <laughs> in it, don't worry. So, and it's just a blank one. The download's just totally blank. So the big thing here, and the thing... The thing that made me think it was probably a good idea to do this episode was that last year I got feedback that it was helpful. And last year my channel had seven or eight streams of revenue. So when I was saying YouTube, YouTube itself was actually one stream of revenue. And then there were all kinds of other stuff, you know, affiliate links and, and whatever. Um, and I just sort of threw those all in the bucket of YouTube because it's easier that way to just say like, yeah, it's YouTube. And pretty much all the other outlets are fed through YouTube. You know, like nobody's going to be clicking on affiliate links if I'm not making videos where there's even links in the first place. So YouTube is the engine that sort of drives everything for better or worse. And that's just where that stuff goes goes through. Um, this year, at the end of 2021, I have 16 revenue streams. So it increased a lot. And I, it's important to go through some of those because some of those, the biggest single revenue stream uh what the heck was it last year <laughs> it was actually amazon amazon was my biggest single uh, uh source of of revenue and all in all in 2021 i earned seventeen thousand four hundred seventy nine dollars through amazon affiliate stuff that was the biggest source that's a great amount of money like i'm you know happy to have seventeen thousand dollars in amazon uh but if you made $17,000 a year, it's going to be really hard to get by on $17,000 a year. Pay rent, buy groceries, pay bills, handle any kind of emergencies that come up. Like that's not a full-time income even for one person uh, to live comfortably or securely. And some of them, you know, what was it? Oh, buy me a coffee was a source of revenue. Uh, that's actually inaccurate though. The number that I'm seeing down here. Uh, buy me a coffee. I made $550. So, you know, throughout the whole year, I guess I I didn't start it until June, but through the whole year, $550 from that source, not a huge source of revenue there either, but all these little sources add up to do something good. So here's kind of the cool thing though. This is, this is a neat thing to look at is uh, I started my YouTube channel in 2017. 
And in 2017, my YouTube channel lost (laughs) $3,000. So I was off to a great start. Uh, But that was actually fine because keeping in mind at that point, I was not, I was not planning to, to earn revenue. Like that was not at all what was on my radar in starting the YouTube channel. And so that $3,000 was things like my Artlist subscription uh, website that I put into it, a, a little bit of equipment that I had bought throughout the year. Um, it, it was about $3,000 that I spent on the channel and I earned $0 back from the channel. In 2018, that was the first time I started earning revenue and that was from Amazon because that's when I sort of discovered affiliate links where, you know, I had been putting links to things I was talking about in the descriptions of my video, but they were just regular links. And that's when I learned, oh, an affiliate link would be the exact same thing, except I would get a percentage of the sale if somebody buys something instead of nothing. And it doesn't change anything for the person who's who's buying it. So that's when I started using affiliate links. And in 2018, my channel made $600 from affiliate revenue. And I was very excited to have $600. <laughs> that was very cool. Uh, but obviously that's not like, boy, call the boss, tell him I'm quitting. I got $600 this year. No, that's not happening there. Uh, so 2019, the next year, $6,000 was what was earned, uh, through not just Amazon affiliate, but I think at that point I had art list and epidemic. I did one sponsored video for $250. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, total windfall there. And that all came out to $6,000 in 2019, which was pretty cool, though, because 6000 I was like, okay, this is like a monthly paycheck. That's, that's you know, it's not a laughable amount of money. 6000 divided by 12 is not, you know, it's not a massive amount of money, but hey, it's there. And then in 2020, it went from 6000 to 50000 which was, oh, this is like, this is income level stuff, you know, like... Hey, let's take a look here. And the total for 2021, just to sort of spoil everything, um, the total, it's sort of strange. The total income from the channel was $127,978.31, which is (laughs) significantly more. I've never crossed six digits before. Uh, My teaching salary when I left was like 89,000 and sometimes I would get stipends for doing like club advising and extra stuff so I, I might go up into like 92, 93,000 at the very end and that was with 11 years of experience, a master's degree, two teaching credentials and and all that would would go up to 92, 93 and that was kind of where I was topping out because the school district you you get a, a pay increase every year for experience and then you can earn more depending on your level of education but my education level was basically maxed out i think if i got a phd i would get an extra thousand dollars a year so that's not worth it at all and my uh seniority increase was actually going to stop this year so if i had stayed teaching i would have got a bump into this year and then i would never get an increase unless they like gave everybody a pay raise and boosted the whole salary schedule so was pretty much capped out at it would have been capped out around 94 93 ish thousand teaching and that's it and of course you know there there's uh retirement contributions and insurance and everything but uh 
Yeah, 127. That's significantly more. That's just a lot. That's a lot more. And it covers the insurance costs and it covers savings and stuff like that, which is pretty amazing. Um, so where I'm at is that's that's one of those things where it's like, if you're listening to this, you might think, wow, that's a lot. That's a great income. You're That's like so much. Or you might be listening to that and go, oh, like you sweet summer child. That's nothing at all. It depends on where you're at in your, your life and your journey. I can tell you that for me and growing up, like my family was never a six figure family. I, it, you know, I always thought like if I hit a hundred thousand, I'm set, <laughs> which not that I wouldn't want more, but, um, it's pretty crazy. Like that's a, that's a pretty crazy thing. It's a great amount to like, like Heather and I, we don't have lavish lifestyles. If you watch my videos and you see like, you have the studio and you have all these cameras and you do all that. It's like, that's this one space. Otherwise, like we live in a pretty low cost of living area. It's like the one, at least when I bought the house was a low cost of living area in California. Uh, <laughs> or one of a couple low cost of living areas you know we don't do anything super crazy we don't have you know my car is a six-year-old rav4 that's paid off <laughs> like it's not it's not anything lavish uh or crazy so it's it's like all the lavish stuff goes into youtube related things and everything else is very 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 modest comfortable but modest and this is more than enough to maintain that especially you know this is my income and then you know heather this isn't the income that's that this doesn't include income generated from her stuff this is just my side of things which is awesome so basically like if i could just maintain this <laughs> uh be super set ultimately i know that you know online content creation is a rocky road so things will be up things will be down it would be great if this would increase because that would allow me to save and invest more aggressively so that way in the future if there's those lean years it doesn't feel as uh, as terrifying. There's there's safety nets in place for that, so that would be great. Uh, personally, I have a <laughs> I have a weird uh, pride thing where I would love one year to make two hundred fifty thousand because that is how much our school district superintendent makes, and I just thought of like the amount of how tough that job is, and how much work that is, and how much stress that is, and how much you have to deal with, and how just unfun it sounds and to be able to match that doing something amazing that like brings me joy and happiness i there's just something that makes me feel good about that i don't know it's weird it's petty and weird but hey this is a place to be honest and petty and weird right so let's get in though because it doesn't do you much good to say like this is how much i made that and how the heck did that happen first and foremost this is year five or i guess 2020 was year four of running the YouTube channel. So it's not something like start a YouTube channel today and you'll earn this much money next year. Like it, everybody's journey is very different. Uh, this was the result of building an infrastructure over years and growing that. And it's going to continue to change and things are going to continue to drop off. And I'll even talk about that right now. But going through this, um, I'm just going to go down, down the list, which basically the way I have these columns ordered is just... Uh, oldest to newest. So as I add a new source of revenue, it just sort of gets added on at the end. They're not in any specific order. So Amazon, uh, this is United States, American Amazon affiliate stuff. Uh, I told you the total was $17,479.72. The worst month was August. 
and I made $1,544 in August. That was my lowest month of the year. My highest month was January, actually the very start of the year, which was $3,682. So actually, you can see that's a huge difference. So if you don't know, am I going to get $3,600 from this source this month or $1,500? That's hard to plan around. So that's where it's like... um, where, where's it, where's it, what I do keep track of, and you'll notice this if you download the spreadsheet, is I highlight the lowest month in red and I highlight the highest month in green. And what I've noticed is August specifically was bad. As you can hear my dog Ben screaming about, maybe. August was a low month or like there's red all throughout it, but the actual total was right in the middle for the year. Um... So there's there's times throughout the year where individual revenue sources performed their worst, but overall, the actual amount of income was pretty decent. It was not necessarily the highest, but it also wasn't the worst. So that really helped. Uh, so anyway, that was Amazon, lowest, highest. That's a pretty big, <laughs> a pretty big range there. I let's see. Yeah. Up next is YouTube AdSense, because that was the second source that I added once my channel had gotten monetized. I actually didn't put ads on my videos for like a while. Um, I've talked about this before, but just because my channel was able to be monetized, I didn't want to put ads on videos because ads kind of suck. And putting an ad on a video and ruining the viewer experience with ads only to earn an extra $80 a month was not worth it to me. So I told myself that I wouldn't put ads on the videos until it would be what I considered a life-changing amount of money. So you could agree that if YouTube ads were going to give me $100,000 a month, that's a life-changing amount of money. If they were going to give me $100 a month, that is not, at least in my case. So where's the middle ground? Where does that shift? You know, $10,000? Yes. $200? No. $1,000? Yeah, that's that's life-changing. $500? Maybe that is, you know, like, that's, that's a more than a car payment. That's car and insurance. So... It was kind of around there where I was thinking like, oh, I think ads will will probably bring in between three and 500 a month. That's where I'm going to start enabling them. And that was back in, uh, let's see, when did I enable them? <laughs> December of 2019. And that month was only $9. But then it was, it went up to 100, 200, 400. It went up from there. So uh, YouTube ad revenue. The other thing about it though, if you're starting a YouTube channel, this has kind of changed because when I got monetized. If you weren't monetized, or you were and you chose not to put ads on your videos, your videos didn't have ads. But now, YouTube can, not that they do this every time, but they can play ads on non-monetized channels. So even if you even if you have 800 subscribers and you're not monetized, they could still put ads in front of your video. Even if you have, you know, 5,000 subscribers, but you've chosen not to put ads, but you've chosen not to monetize your channel, they could still put ads on your videos. So the only way to not have ads on your videos would be to be monetized and select no ads, no monetization for the video setting. But yeah, I I kind of figure like if YouTube might be putting ads on your videos anyway, you might as well be getting some of the revenue if there's going to be ads. And you can even then choose what kind of ads you want. Do you want skippable, unskippable, mid-roll, no mid-roll? So I do ads at the beginning of the end. Um, and I don't put ads in the middle of the videos because I don't like mid-roll ads, even though I 
supposedly they pay significantly more. So YouTube AdSense, uh, total for the year was $13,191.76. So $13,000 in AdSense. The highest month of the year was November, uh, which makes sense because it's heading into the holiday season. And that was $2,912. And let's see, what's my monthly views? Monthly views are usually like 310 to 350,000, if that kind of tells you anything. Um, and that go, but it, it ranges because my monthly views didn't really change that much, much throughout the year, but my highest month was 2,900. My lowest month was 1,400, but view wise, those months were kind of the same. So the change is ad rates because the lowest month was August at $1,400. Companies just aren't spending a lot of money on ads. Whereas the highest month was November heading into the holiday season, companies are spending more money on ads. So, you know, it kind of changes. You can probably plan for that a little better. You can probably plan for ad rates being higher at the end of the year, lower in the middle of the year. You know, um, yeah. And uh, the next revenue source was Artlist. Artlist uh, affiliate stuff, which I've been a part of that. That was the third revenue source I ever added. Uh, Artlist, I earned $3,700 throughout the year. My best month was $960. My worst month was $240. Best month being January. Worst month being August. This was interesting because I actually did really badly on Artlist last year. Because uh, prior to that, in 2020, my best month was $1,600. And regularly, I was hitting $900, $1,000, $1,200 a month. And in 2021, it was a lot of like, 300 200 300-ish dollars a month. Um and I don't know, it's just kind of a bummer. I know I had videos that had artlist links that I think just started getting pushed less or you know, people it was saturated and people didn't need royalty-free music subscriptions from the videos that I was making anymore. Who knows what it might have been. And then right next to artlist is Epidemic Sound cuz I'm also part of their ambassador thing. <laughs> that's not hypocritical because I use both services and they're both, you know, they're both different. I've even done videos about this uh, and they're both great for just different needs. Epidemic, uh, I made $1,300. So Artlist was $3,700. Epidemic was $1,300. My best month with Epidemic was tied with January and February for being $270. And my worst month was November at $0. <laughs> no subscriptions. And both Artlist and Epidemic, uh, I get $30 per person who signs up. But Epidemic just changed their model where now you get a percentage. You get 50% of a person's monthly fee or whatever. If they pay annually, you get 50% of that. If they pay monthly, you get 50% of that for the first year. So that's changed. Um, I don't have any data on that yet to see if that's actually going to bring in more or less revenue. But it'll be interesting at the end of this year to kind of see, like, is it the same? Is it more? Is it less? I know the amount of traffic and the amount of conversions plays into that. I don't know if I care enough to like check that out, but it'd be kind of interesting. They did change that. They also made it easier, Epidemic, to become an ambassador, they call it. If you have an Epidemic account, you can just go into your account settings and there's a tab that says ambassador. Right now it says ambassador beta, and you can click on that and uh, basically everything you need. If you want to start referring people, if you use Epidemic and you tell people about it a lot, there's no reason that you shouldn't be getting a cut of that. <laughs> uh, the next section is sponsorships, which is interesting because prior to this, in 2019, my sponsorship 
rate was $250, not rate, um, income was $250. In 2020, my sponsorship income was $0 because I didn't do any. And in 2021, I did several sponsored things, pretty much all art list, uh, and I earned $7,000 in 2021. Uh, so that was that. Was that. Not 100% art list, but mostly from there, I probably lowballed myself <laughs> and I probably could have done a little bit more, but live and learn. I was happy with the, um, happy with the results pretty much where I'm at now. It's like, I don't really do sponsored stuff, but if I'm going to, because something fits or makes sense and isn't a conflict of interest, um, I won't do a 60 second thing where it's like, this video is sponsored by so-and-so for less than 2,500. And I feel like that should even be a little bit higher. Um, I'd kind of like to push that towards the 5,000 mark. The hard part is like, you have no idea what the budgets are on, on some of these companies. So, you know, I don't know. What if you ask someone, Hey, give me $15,000 for this. And like, yeah, fine. If you say, give me 1500, like, yeah, fine. They won't tell you. So you, you got to just like figure out what you're worth or at least what you're comfortable, what you're comfortable doing. So, uh, that was sponsorship actually did sponsorships last year, but not that many. I wouldn't really want to do more than one a month, maybe one every other month. So that also makes me feel like I could raise the price because it's it's a premium. You know, if I agree to do a sponsorship with someone, that means I'm not agreeing to do sponsorships with anyone else for another month or two, potentially. The next category is a weird one. Um, I just call it genius because I use genius links to do Amazon affiliate stuff uh, globally. So if you sign up for Amazon affiliates, you know, I signed up in the US because that's where I live. I was getting affiliate sales for people in the US. But if a viewer was in a different country and they clicked on an Amazon affiliate link, I wasn't getting anything. They were just going to their country's Amazon page and and potentially purchasing something. So uh, what you can do is you can open up affiliate accounts in every country, which is sort of tricky because sometimes the pages are in the languages of the other countries and translation doesn't always work. So it's, it's quite a process. <laughs> At least I found it to be quite a process to go to like, I don't know, 12 different country pages where I was getting traffic from and open up affiliate accounts there. It took a while. This is a multi-day project, uh, but eventually I did it. I just basically used, uh, used my analytics to tell me where people were viewing from and went to those countries stores to open up Amazon affiliate things. And then uh, you can use Genius Link, that's what I use at least, to basically make it so you get your affiliate link from Amazon. Just like you normally would. If, you, if there's a product you want to use, you generate the affiliate link, you create a link in Genius, you put that link into Genius Link, and then that turns it into a Genius Link, which basically just means that when someone clicks on that, if they're not in your home country where your original account is, or I shouldn't even say that, if someone clicks on that, it will direct them to their country's listing for it. And if you have an affiliate account with that country, then you will get the revenue. Uh, which basically what it comes down to is these are links that are being clicked anyway, but if you're not using, if you don't have accounts there and you're not using Genius Link or something, you're just losing out on that money. And you probably don't want to put 12 links under each thing. So if it's like, hey, today I'm using the Earthworks Icon Pro microphone. 
here's an Amazon affiliate link for the US, here's one for Canada, one for Germany, one for Australia, like this one product in my video description has 12 links below it and then you have to find your country. People aren't gonna do that. You're not gonna wanna do that. It's gonna be messy and terrible. So having just one link that will direct people is very, very, very helpful. And from Genius Links, so all of these global affiliate links last year, I earned $7,300, $7,384. So that actually, you know, if, if I guess if you combine both of those, since that is all Amazon, that's $2,400. Uh, my best month for Genius Link was January, $1,380. My worst month was August, $512. And that's an interesting one too, because some countries literally it's like, you earned $12 this month. And other ones, you know, like Canada is usually a pretty good one for me. It'd be like, oh, you earned $300, $400 from Canada or something. But it all adds up. Genius Link is not free. The amount you have to pay depends on how many clicks you're getting. So if you're, it's like how much traffic, how much your link is used depend dictates how much you pay per month. For me, it ends up being between $40 and $60. $60 if it's a very busy month, $40 if it's kind of a normal month. And, you know, if my worst month of the year was $512 and I paid $40 for the use of Genius Link in that time, I'm still bringing in a lot more money that would have just otherwise just been left, literally left on the table because people are already clicking the links. There's just nowhere, like no way for them to give the money to me. So I, I definitely recommend Genius Link for Amazon stuff. Plus it's an easy way to just make smart links and shorten links and... You can make a genius link for something like, I don't know, a website or a document or something, put it in your video description. But if the link changes, instead of having to go through all your videos and change it out, you can just go into genius link and change the destination. And then all those links will still work and those go to the new destination, if that makes sense. Uh, the other thing was uh, consulting. I kind of like had limited consulting towards the end of the year. Uh, the hourly rate went from 200 to $250. And with teaching and with starting my own business and stuff, I didn't have a ton of time and slots to do consultations, but uh, they did bring in $3,300, which is pretty great. And I'm fortunate that every everybody I consulted with was awesome. I have never had a bad consulting client, uh, which is good, but it is exhausting uh, to do consultations. You have to you know, set up. I want to deliver on them. It's hard. So um, that calendar is like, it doesn't seem like a lot to earn $3,300 in a year, but with how limited the calendar is and how limited those slots are, it's actually pretty great. Um, yeah, that was kind of, kind of my limit there. Uh, the next one is, oh, sorry. The slowest months were June and May, which were zero. I don't know if that's fair because I like didn't have any slots those months, but I didn't earn anything. The best months were uh, April and March where I earned $1,200 from consulting each of those. Uh, so there you go. And the next one is Sweetwater Sound. I'm part of the Sweetwater Affiliate Program. Total was $1,700 for the year. Worst month was February, where I earned $87. And the best month tied, actually to the penny, <laughs> was uh, June and August, $458.93. Super weird that it was like literally to the penny. I don't really know how that happened. Uh, but I love Sweetwater, and what I'm trying to do in my video descriptions is where where I can sort of vary the links. So some of my Amazon revenue, I think, did go down compared to 2020, but that's because I was sort of spreading things out to B&H and Sweetwater 
just to not have all the eggs be in one basket. You know, some stuff like, I don't, like, I don't know, I'll put a link to my MacBook Pro. I'm going to link to the B&H page that has the configuration of it. I'm not going to link to the Amazon page just because I don't know that I would want to tell someone, hey, go buy this very expensive computer off Amazon where it might get shifted to like a weird seller or something that I don't necessarily recommend. Whereas like I trust B&H and I've bought computers from B&H. So here's, here's a link there. And sometimes I'll just do both. I'll be like, here's, here's the product. Uh, here's a link to Amazon. Here's a link to B&H. And the person can decide where they're comfortable uh, buying from. So Sweetwater, I've been incorporating more and more. Um, the next one is Buzzsprout. I'm part of the, hey, this is a podcast hosted on Buzzsprout. <laughs> I'm part of the Buzzsprout Creator Program, which uh, pays $100 stipend a month. So math is pretty easy on that one because it is $1,200 a month. So every month they give 100 bucks just sort of help you um, produce your show, produce your podcast, put that money towards your podcast. So that's very, very cool and very, very appreciative. Appreciated. Uh, the next one is Ecamm Live, the Ecamm Affiliate Group. This is a great one. They basically use the same model that Epidemic moved to, where if somebody signs up for the year, you get a percentage of their annual registration. And if someone signs up monthly, then every month you get a cut of their thing, which means that when I look through my earnings at the end of the month, it's a lot of like $8, $8, $8, $15 kind of things. Not a lot, but it all adds up. So my Best my total for ecamm for the year was twenty three hundred dollars twenty three thirty one. My worst month was January, one hundred twenty three dollars. My best month was February, seven hundred seventeen dollars. So, and and the weirder part too is December of twenty twenty was my best ecamm month ever. It was one thousand sixty six dollars. So I went from my best month to my worst month ever to my best month of the next calendar year, back to back to back. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of unpredictable. Um, and then uh, most of the months kind of range somewhere between $300 and $500 for Ecamm Live. Uh, next one's B&H Photo. That was new. I didn't even join that. I joined that affiliate program years ago, but I, <laughs> I didn't really know how to use their link builder thing. So I never used it because it was really confusing. And then I learned that they have this easy link bookmarklet thing where um, you basically install it into like your Chrome browser. And when you go to a product page, you click one button and it gives you a short URL to that product and you're done. It's awesome. And I don't need to run those through Genius Link. I guess I could, but I don't because it just, it all goes directly to B&H. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's the same link. Um, so I started doing that in April and, you know, that was late in the year. And I don't have a ton of B&H links, but they are scattered throughout and so I earned $403 last year from B&H, uh, best month being, what is that, June, $215, and worst month being September, $46. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but that's that that has been growing, and I've been putting more and more B&H links. The reason I think it was so low was because I was really learning how their program worked, and they were also revamping their affiliate program, so I didn't want to move a bunch of links over to that if it wasn't actually going to work. I didn't want to kill like links that were working for links that weren't. So as things are now, as I trust it more and it's reliable and they've really worked out a lot of details on their end, I'm using it more and more. And that is pretty awesome. Uh, the thing about B&H though versus Amazon is this is where it's sort of tricky is like 
overall, I would probably trust B&H as a retailer more than Amazon. I trust things that are like shipped and sold from Amazon. Or if you find a store you know on Amazon and, you, you know, shipped and sold from Sony or something, I would trust that. But it's so easy when something goes out of stock that then it's shipped and sold from weird company you've never heard of. And it's like, you gotta, gotta watch out for that stuff. Whereas B&H is just always B&H. But for Amazon, if somebody clicks your affiliate link and, you know, I, whatever, I put up a link to a microphone, someone clicks it and they go there and they look at that microphone and think that's cool, but they don't buy it. For the next 24 hours, if they make any purchase, you get a percentage of that. It doesn't matter how much, what, what category. It's just from the time they click your link, the next 24 hours, if they make a purchase, you get a percentage of that. Which, I mean, you, you can see that's an opportunity to earn a lot more revenue. Whereas B&H is set up more on like, they buy the thing that the link is for. So, you know, if I put a link to a microphone on B&H and somebody clicks that link and they buy that microphone, I get a percentage. If they click to a different product and buy that, I don't get anything. So it's a little, you know, you got to like spread out, like you probably have more potential to earn more money through Amazon. But sometimes there are certain things where you're like, I would... I would personally prefer to buy this thing from B&H. So, you know, ethically, what do you do? Or morally, what do you do? Do you refer people to the, the thing that you wouldn't necessarily trust but will earn you more money? Or do you refer them to the thing that you trust that will earn you less money? You probably know which one I choose. I rip everybody off and send them to the one I don't trust. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I obviously, like in those cases, I refer people to B&H. Uh, even though it might cost me less money just because you know, you got to look yourself in the mirror every day, right? Uh, the next thing, this is one, I was so excited for this because I just started it right after I did this episode last year. And that was my courses, of course. I didn't have any courses last year when I did this. And then I did one course and I did a second course last year, which was sort of a surprise. I have the Podcaster Idea Book, Podcaster Playbook. Podcaster Idea Book is $299 podcaster idea book is $99 and there's a slight discount if you purchase them both together and I did do a couple sales throughout the year as well so you know like people who signed up really early got it at like the biggest discount I offered I did a Black Friday sale I did a sale for my 100th podcast episode so a couple times I would discount them a little bit for, for the most part they weren't really discounted because if you, you know every once in a while a little discount's fun and, and people will will join, but I don't want to do the thing where it's like, oh, get now and it's the lowest price. And then people are like, oh, dang, I should do that. And then a month later, it's like, hey, it's the lowest price again. It seems shady. So like, plus it's not, it's not worth it to me to like make and sell a course that's just always on bargain discount. Like it has to be worth my time, the expense to make, you know, you know what I mean? Like it has to be worth it for me. So uh, the courses in total throughout the year, I launched the course in May and the course earned $12,570, which is fantastic. So the best month of the course, of course, was May when it launched. It was $4,400. And the worst month was August. August just being overall, actually not overall the worst month, but the worst for a lot of sources was $398. So not bad. Uh, next one is Patreon. I didn't really revamp my Patreon until March of last year. And even now it's not huge. You know, uh, most of the Patreon patrons 
come from here, from this podcast. And there's not a ton of people. So my Patreon hovers in between two and $300 usually. My total for Patreon, that doesn't make sense at all. My math is clearly not correct here because that's just impossible. Sorry, I'm finding an error in my spreadsheet. Okay, now I fixed it. <laughs> my total income from Patreon was uh, $1,300 last year. And uh, my worst month was March. It was $63. That's pretty much when I like reopened it. My best month was November. That was $256. So nothing too crazy. I would love to grow the Patreon more. I'm kind of like, I don't say jealous, but I, I, it makes me happy in an envious way <laughs> when I see people who like have very strong Patreon pages because they know that regardless of what happens with other things, you know, you have this many people paying this much a month. You, you sort of like, this is how much you're getting this month. Done. Uh, and that, you know, that's a really helpful thing. I don't have that, but an extra 1300 bucks a year is not bad. I would like to try and grow Patreon more, especially because it's a separate entity from YouTube, Amazon, all that. So not putting eggs in the one basket. And because Patreon does take less of a cut than something like YouTube does. But speaking of YouTube, the next category is YouTube channel memberships. So com that's kind of, you know, as I mentioned in previous podcasts and things, the way I run my YouTube channel memberships and my Patreon is basically the same because for simplicity's sake, it's like, hey, you want to support the channel, you want to support the podcast, here's the two ways to do it. Patreon, YouTube channel memberships, uh, take your pick. They're exactly the same. It's just the platform that you register for is a little bit different. YouTube takes more of a cut. So that's the downside. But the upside to YouTube is it's way easier for people to join. It's just right there. Um, it's super easy for me to do posts. It's super easy for me to do members-only videos. All of that same stuff goes to Patreon. But it's just like on my end, it's a little clunkier to set it up on Patreon. But it, it all goes there in the same way. Uh, but the downside to channel memberships, of course, is that they're connected to YouTube. So if something were to happen or something goes wrong with the channel on YouTube, not only does AdSense go away, but channel memberships would be affected as well because that gets rolled into your AdSense. So uh, I would prefer, yeah, I guess I would prefer to grow Patreon because it's a little more independent, but uh, YouTube channel memberships, which I launched in March, uh, earned a total of $675 last year. Worst month being March, <laughs> of course, when I started, it was $90 and best month being August. Look at that. Best month being August, uh, $328 in August. And the last little bit of revenue stream here uh, was buy me a coffee because that was a thing. I launched that in May. Uh, just lots of people recommending it because you can run buy me a coffee kind of like Patreon where there's tiers and monthly subscriptions and stuff, but I didn't do that. I used it basically as a tip jar and that's what people were saying is like, oh, we want to support you, but um, you know, like we, I don't want to give you $5 every month, but this video I watched was super helpful. I'd like to give you $5 to say thanks for that video, that kind of a thing, you know, this one time and buy me a coffee is good for that. So in total, I made $580 off buy me a coffee. Worst months were December and November, which was $0. And the best month was October, $350. So I went from my best month to my worst. But the reason for that is because something happened. I'm not entirely sure what, but buy me a coffee had to stop using PayPal. 
So that was the number one way that people were using it was PayPal. Um, and I think now that they can't use PayPal, it's not as easy for people to donate. And if you put barriers in front of people for stuff like that, obviously they're not going to do it as much. So uh, I've kind of been like also removing those links a little bit. They're still in my podcast descriptions because I thought it might be a good thing for podcasts. But now that it's a little harder to donate, I think you use Stripe now. But PayPal is just really easy if you're someone who already has a PayPal account. So I might be removing Buy Me A Coffee just because it's not as practical anymore. Sadly, it's a great service. I don't know what the heck happened between them and PayPal, but you can't use it. So Anyway, those are those are all the the revenue sources from last year. Um, some of them are passive, some of them are active. You know, stuff like affiliate links are relatively passive income, I guess you could call it. Whereas stuff like consultations and sponsorships are much more active. Um, even stuff I would say like Patreon and channel memberships, you have to nurture those and build. You know, that's a little more active than uh, than an affiliate thing. So that's kind of everything. Again, all in all, the total was $127,978.31, which is amazing. Uh, the best month of the year, <laughs> my best and worst months were back to back. My best month of the year was June, which is uh, which was $14,653. Crazy to make that much money in one month. My worst month of the year was July, <laughs> the very next month, uh, $7,200. And then actually... August and September were my second and third worst months at almost the same, 7,700 and 7,400. So um, ranging, so that's half, right? Some months are 14, other months are seven. There's also a couple months that were nine, 12, 13, eight, 13, 10. Like the thing though that makes me happy is when I was teaching my gross pay, you know, before taxes and everything was 9,000. And then I took home about six thousand a month, um, a little less than six thousand a month. So pretty much all of these, except for those worst months, and that was again after the eleven years of teaching. All but those three worst months are pretty much equal or beyond where I was at teaching. The worst months are beyond where I was for most of my teaching career because I was making significantly less for the first half of the career at least. And teaching only pays 10 months a year. So when you talk to teachers and you're like, must be nice to have summer off. It's like, it is nice to have a break, but you're also unemployed. Like you, you have a job to return to. So maybe it doesn't totally count as unemployed, but like you don't get paid for that time. It's not like, boy, I'm just over here raking in the dough while I sit on the beach. Like you don't get paid. So um, the thing with this is I get paid 12 months out of the year. So even though I realized that a little late, even though the income might not be very different month to month, the fact that there's two extra months of income is a pretty big pay increase just by itself right there, which is uh, pretty darn cool, right? So that's, uh, that's where we're at. I'm trying to see if there's any other interesting stuff. Um, we did start doing quarterly taxes. So we um, we have a financial planner person who helps us, you know, keep track of things, both Heather and I, and we've been doing our quarterly taxes because we filed our LLC a couple years ago, did episodes all about this last year. Um, but our quarterly taxes we hadn't done. So maybe this will be helpful as we wrap up this episode. I said last year that I was going to see what happened with our taxes. And then 
see if, if we did it right, you know, because you don't want to have to owe a bunch of tax money at the end of the year, but you don't want to overpay so much, like getting a refund is good, but ultimately if you're getting a refund, it's because you overpaid. And if you're overpaying a lot, that means you're, you're kind of losing out on being able to use your money throughout the year. But I always like to overpay a bit because it's easier to get a refund than have to pay extra. So what we have been doing for the whole year is every dollar that comes in, just taking 50% of taking 50 cents of it, half of all income and moving that into a separate savings account that's just for taxes. So it sucks because, you know, hey, you have a great month over here. Look, my best month on Amazon was $3,600. That's amazing. So $3,600 goes into the account and then, you know, $1,800 just disappears right away and goes into savings. So that, you know, that's a bummer. And, uh, and our insurance ended up costing about $1,100 a month. We could have gotten a slightly cheaper one. I think our cheapest option would have been, uh, would have been six or $700 a month. But we wanted to have a PPO where we can select our provider. So that way, you know, you don't have to, if you have an HMO plan, if you don't know, or you don't live in the United States where healthcare is a nightmare, an HMO basically means you have a, a doctor and you have to go to them first, no matter what. So I've had this before and it, it basically means like, I don't know. Well, here's a good example, actually. Uh, when I was in college and I worked at Trader Joe's, they had an HMO plan. I had hernia surgery in 2005. In like 2008 or something, I thought I re-injured it and I needed like, I needed to just go to the hernia specialist to, to have them check it out. I knew that. That's where I needed to go. But I couldn't go there because I had to go to my general doctor first, who then was like, what's wrong? Well, gee, my hernia thing hurts again. Oh, Okay. Now let's make you an appointment for like two months from now to go see the specialist that you need to see. And there was one time I was even worse, which was I broke my wrist at Disneyland uh, running to the tram. I slipped and broke my wrist. And your wrist has all of those little round bones in it, kind of where like your fingers, well, your wrist. I was like where your fingers join your arm. That's your wrist. <laughs> those little round circular bones, whatever the big one is called, I cracked that one. And that can be dangerous. Well, I'll explain why actually. So it was broken. That sucked. I knew it was broken because I had broken both my wrists before and the pain was very familiar. So I couldn't just go though. I could go to urgent care. So I went to urgent care. Um, they were like, oh, you know, we can't really do x-rays or whatever, but we'll give you like a bandage. So I was like, okay, I did that. I knew that like I needed to go see a specialist to get my wrist looked at. I had to go to my general doctor who referred me guess what? There's no appointments. It took two months. By the time I got to go see the specialist, my wrist had literally healed, which was fine because they didn't have to do anything. But the specialist was like, oh, it's good it healed because if those little bones heal wrong, it could totally like uh, ruin your mobility and the use of your wrist for the rest of your life. And I was like, yeah, uh, it would have been great to get this looked at months ago. <laughs> so anyway, I learned my lesson. A PPO lets you decide who you're going to who you're going to see when you want to see them. If you need the wrist person, you go to the wrist person. If you need, even just recently, I hurt my foot. Guess what? I made an appointment with the foot doctor and I went to see the foot doctor and that was it. It was very easy and great. So anyway, our insurance is $1,100 a month. Um, quarterly taxes. So at least in the United States, 
Uh, for businesses, at the end of every quarter, you can estimate how much you're going to pay in taxes and you pay that. Uh, and then at the end of the year, you don't have to pay it all in one chunk, basically. So our quarterly taxes have pretty much averaged about $11,000, or I should say for the first three quarters of the year, it was 11000 each quarter. Um, and you pay taxes to the federal government and taxes to the state government. Our federal taxes were usually like 9000 something, and our state taxes were like twelve, fifteen hundred. So it came out to $1,100. Um, we did that for the first three quarters, so that would be $33,000 in taxes there. And then the fourth quarter, it just turned out we had been overpaying, which is fine. So the fourth quarter, we only owed $3,300, which was awesome because I had budgeted for $11,000, uh, but we didn't need to pay it. So my method of saving basically 50% of income into savings was good and left us with more than enough money to cover taxes and the extra money in there is great for, you know, unexpected medical things, uh, business expenses, you know, when stuff happens, like you're launching a course and it's like, oh crap, Podia where I host my course is going to be like $800 a year. You don't have to freak out about, you know, you, you kind of have a little cushion to, to cover those costs. And it's nice to just also have savings for uh, the future and stuff. So anyway, I think that's pretty much all the main stuff. Um, yeah, if you got questions or whatever, I hope this is helpful. Like, I, I hope ultimately it doesn't come across as like bragging, you know, I don't think it would, but I don't mean like, listen to me talk about how much money I made for an hour is not the goal of this. But it's, it's the kind of like, here's actual numbers from actual sources. So you can get an idea um, of what might work for you, what might not. You know, stuff like Amazon affiliate links work pretty well for me, but that's also because a lot of like the videos I make are product focused. I don't make the videos specifically to include an affiliate link, but if I'm talking about a product, it makes sense to include a link to the product in the description. For other people who who do like, you know, I don't know, mental health or something, it's a lot harder to, you know, Amazon links might not make as much sense. So a lot of it depends on what you're doing, how much sense it makes to include that. Lots of different programs, lots of different companies have affiliate links and programs and things. I can even assign affiliates to my course. So like you could be an affiliate for that. I don't know. It's a whole thing. I've never really done that, but it's like everything has affiliate programs, but you do want to be careful not to oversaturate. Like, you know, I'm part of 10 million different affiliate programs and your, your viewers, your, your customers, your audience, whoever is like, they don't even know it. They don't do anything because there's too much basically. So you want to be careful with, you want to do what works for you. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff out there and a lot of cool options and it makes me really happy that doing something I love and being in charge of my own time allowed me to earn a living that was beyond anything that I had made prior while being in a more traditional line of work where I felt like I was at the whim I was never at my own whim I was always you know other people telling me to focus on do worry about stress about and it's like it's pretty cool so I I hope that continues knock on wood uh, to see. So anyway, if you got questions about that, you can always reach out. I'm happy to clarify anything. If you want to download my template of a budget sheet, which you can totally modify and change, of course, you can go to hymanameistom.com slash downloads. And that pretty much wraps up the 2022 budget revenue spectacular. Yay. So thanks so much for listening. I really, truly hope this was helpful. If you got questions about anything like 
I don't want to call it the business side of things because I'm figuring this stuff out on my own too, but we'll call it the business side of things. Feel free to reach out and maybe I can do episodes about that. The dogs are obviously barking about it. Uh, That's a good time for me to wrap it up. So I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week and I will see you next time.